Amazing testimonies. Wow, just incredible. So beautiful, so powerful. I'm Brian Robinson, one of the pastors here at City Church. Welcome to our church. Um, if you're a visitor visiting, welcome you guys. We hope you feel loved. We hope you experience the Lord's love. I was in um, Buena Vista last week visiting Antley and Laura, and it was a great trip. But I visited their church church they go to, not, not the church he leads, that's, that'd be misleading, the church he goes to. And, um, and I, I just realized, like, it's so hard sometimes to be a visitor. It's like, it's, it's just, you, you, you know that they know that you're not from there or with them, and you feel that sometimes. And so I, I just want to make sure that you guys know you're welcome, you're loved, and this is a family, and we, we want you to feel like you're part of the family. Uh, I had a great time last week. The family went out there. We, went, we visited Aunt Lee and Laura. And we, we saw them and Grace. I brought Grace back with us this week. Um, just kidding, but she came back anyway. Um, we were out there visiting, and, it, and it's a beautiful place. Man, it's so beautiful. There's just incredible mountains. It's incredibly just picturesque. This picture here of Aileen Laura. They adopted a new child. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's our son, actually. Aileen's covered up because he has a lot more gray hair now, and he just, he's, he's just... But it was a great trip, and we had, we had a lot of fun. It was just so relaxing, so restful for me and the family. There was this one moment, though, where I thought one of my children was not going to make it. Antley was trying to catch, I want to show a quick video of this. He's getting a little older, so he's trying to catch my son Jonah coming down the mountain, slide to the left, slide to the right. And then he does his best, but Jonah does not get caught, and Antley lets him go in the street, <laughs> right in the street, but... He was okay, just a few broken ribs. No, <laughs> just kidding, totally. It was a great trip. They send their love. They miss you guys. They'll be back over Christmas for two weeks. So I'm excited to see them again. And it's, it was a great time just to get away and just see them and, and uh, experience their, their world. Let me pray for us as we begin, begin this last talk on, on Christology. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for um, what you've done so far today and just how you've been so present, Lord, your tenderness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're you're good and that you're here. Thank you, Father, that you, you never leave or forsake us, Father. I pray you'd come now, Holy Spirit, open your word to us. I pray you give us ears to hear uh, this message. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our last week on Christology. We've had about two months of looking at the person of Jesus Christ, that he was a man, that he was God, that he was a suffering servant. We've talked about many different aspects. I showed a picture of a diamond the first week and all the different facets of a, of a diamond that's Jesus. As you look at a diamond, you see more and more of the beauty and of the, the uniqueness of this, of this uh, thing. And, and Jesus is more than a diamond. He's inc- he's a, he is He's our reward. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's our, he's our great reward. Today, I'm talking about one thing I felt like the Lord put on my heart that, we, that I wanted to share about this, this aspect of Jesus. And I, I understand that there are different ways all of us relate to God. Some of us can relate to God more easily as a father. Some of us may not. Some of us relate to God as a friend or as a king or as a, as a companion or as a healer. And we all have different ways that we relate to God, and some, some are easier than others. Today I'm talking about Jesus as the bridegroom, as the the bridegroom husband of our lives. And that may be hard for some of us to relate to, especially men, because it's a masculine thing where he says, I'm the husband, I'm the bridegroom, and you're my bride, the church. We're going to get into it in just a second. And it it can be hard for men, I think, in general, to enter in this sort of paradigm or this picture of this aspect of Jesus that he's inviting us into this sort of beautiful picture of unity and intimacy and marriage. And, 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 and I want to say it from the outset, this is not about 
anything romantic or sensual or sexual. This is about Jesus loving us in a way that's so deep and so real and so intimate, like a husband loves his wife, without the, the physical stuff. But I want to make sure we understand that. Um, C.S. Lewis said, God is the masculine before which all else, all others are the feminine. In other words, there are pictures in the Bible, descriptions in the Bible of God, and some of, those, some of these times, some of these pictures, some of these illustrations show God as a father, show God as a husband, and, and the rest of us are shown as the bride of Christ. And that be, that's going to be hard to, for some of us to relate to, but I want to, I want to just declare that sort of as we get going. Why did, why did the Lord, in, in the beginning of time, whenever that was, when he decided to create humanity, when he decided to, 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 to make a being in his image, in his likeness, what was the reason he did it? Have you ever thought about that? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed perfectly in unity and in love without needing anything, without being deficient in any way. And yet they decided to make man and woman in their image, it says. It's a very valid question. They have to say, what was the purpose? Not necessarily, what's my purpose right now in 2019? What's my purpose while I'm here? But why did, why did he make man, the first man, the first woman? Why did he make them? It wasn't because he was trying to do some kind of cosmic experiment because let's, let's just try and see what happens, give this person free will, and let's see if they follow us. He knew what was going to happen. It's a really important question because I think that's, that's part of this picture I'm trying to paint this morning about Jesus as the bridegroom. Jesus desires, God desires, companionship. Not that, not that he is in need of companionship, but he is interested, he's interested in partnership. And when he made man and women, men and women, in his image, he was after relationship. He was after friendship. He was after partnership. And so all through the Bible, we see this picture of a God who, who calls out a people group through Abraham, the Jews, the Israelites. He calls them out, and he says, I, I see you as if a husband sees his wife. I've specially picked you and called you to be my own. I'm jealous for you. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6 says this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife, deserted and distressed in spirit. What a picture. Isaiah 62 says, The Lord will hold you in his hands for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Speaking about Israel, never again will you be called the forsaken city or desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight, the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and he will claim you as his bride. In Hosea 2.4, Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute, to go and marry this prostitute who showed how a, a prophetic picture of how Israel over and over again was called to be married to God, and they went out and they worshipped other gods and other, other forms of worship, and they, they, sold, they sold themselves to other gods. And God says this in Hosea 2.14, he says, But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. What a picture 
of this God who desires the kind of partnership where, where, where he is that intimate and that close to us, that over time, this picture, this revelation in Scripture, as, as Scripture progresses, as the story of God progresses, we see more clearly the heart of God, and specifically through Jesus, the revelation of God's heart, so that we go from calling him my master or my Lord, which is true, to my husband. That kind of relationship is what he's after. In the New Testament, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about... Um, the Corinthians, and how, again, they've sold themselves and they've struggled with idolatry in their, own, in their own city there. And he says, I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I, I may present you as a pure virgin to him. This progressive picture of marriage, this progressive picture of Jesus desiring the kind of intimacy a husband and wife have. It is, it's difficult, but it's beautiful. It's an invitation into the kind of love and acceptance that we long for, that we were created for. The most powerful, I think, picture is between this picture in Ephesians 5, where he talks about marriage. And Paul says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but, here he goes, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What Paul is saying is, when a man marries a woman, when, when the husband marries his wife, it's, they become one flesh. It's profoundly amazing and mysterious how that covenant, that special covenant, transforms them before God. And he says this is actually a picture, a prophetic, symbolic picture of Jesus' love for you, the church. That every marriage, whether it's two Christians or two atheists, every single marriage, a man and a woman, reflects. When you look at a marriage, it points to Jesus. It points to Jesus and his love for the church. It's like a signal of something greater, a signal of transcendence, theologians call it, a signal of transcendence that God created marriage to reflect him. He created it, whether they're Buddhist, atheist, Hindu, whatever it is, a man and a woman together reflect the image of God, a man and woman together reflect the beauty of God, and reflects mostly Jesus' love for his bride, the church, you and me. A man shall leave his father and mother, and cling to, the, to, to his wife. And this is a mystery, but Jesus is the man that Paul's talking about. He's saying that this is, this is what my heart is, that we'd be that close, that intimate. I got married at age, at age 35. I was older, getting married. And for many years, many years, I was just looking for that person to fill me, to complete me, to satisfy me, to to find that Mrs. Wright. From an early age, I, don't, I, I think I just bought into the lies of culture, bought into the storyline, bought into all the stuff you can watch, you can listen to, you can experience, see your friends, whatever. I just bought into it and just began dating at a young age, whatever, whatever, and I just went from relationship to relationship to relationship for 15 years or more. And they all just ended in failure, and they all ended in pain and whatever else, rejection, abandonment, whatever it was, you know, 
Good times. Um, <clears throat> so the story goes. But in that season, I felt the Lord was, was trying to show me something. Like he was trying to show me that, that what you're really looking for is me. What you're really after is me. Like you're never going to find someone to complete you because they can't. You were created to be completed by me. And it took many, many years before I was even willing to step into that place of trusting that he could do that, that he would do that, that he desired me in that way. And so this season happened after a really bad relationship. I just, it was a traumatic breakup and unexpected stuff or whatever. And I just said, I'm just going to press into God. I'm just going to press into God. I'm just going to press into believing that he really can satisfy me. Because as a single man, it's like, man, I just, I'm, I'm 30 now. I'm like, what is going on? I'm never going to get married, whatever. That whole line that goes through our heads if you're, if you're single. Um, and so I just pressed into God. I went to a prayer meeting every, every few nights and just sat in the presence of God. I would go home and I would listen to music and I would soak. And it was like the Lord was slowly chinking away this frozenness around my heart, just piece by piece, Moment by moment, he was just day after day. It didn't, it didn't happen overnight by someone praying for me. It didn't happen over a few months. It happened over a long period of time where the Lord slowly melted the rejection and the abandonment and the fear of true intimacy with him. And over time, my heart became alive with him. And I became not just, I didn't just realize he, he was what I needed. He became what I wanted and I would just spend time with the Lord as a single 30-some-odd-year-old man. Just I would stay up all night and, and just soak in worship. I'd have quiet times that lasted eight hours. I mean, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but it was pretty cool. But, but it, was, it was a season of life. That It was a season of life that was so special and so real and so tender that I realized he really can satisfy the human heart in a way that I don't need a ring on my finger to make me complete. And I would just, I just want to say that over every person here today, single, married, widowed, divorced, wherever you are, all you need is him. All you need is him. And we have believed in the church and in the world that you are somehow deficient if you don't have that ring on your finger. It's such a lie. It's such a demonic lie, actually. Paul says it's better to be single because when you're married, you're divided. You have your, your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids and you got all this other stuff to worry about. And it's difficult. It's been difficult. Honestly, I'm not walking in this in, in the way that I was. I'm not walking in this kind of intimacy and, and, and transparency that I was. I really am not. Because it takes work. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes actu- actually doing something. You can't come down front and get this in five minutes. You just can't. It takes a choice of your will to spend time with the living God and say, Lord, here I am, my cold, dull, apathetic heart. I sit before you. Would you warm me with the fire of your love? With the fire of the love of a husband that chooses his bride and says, I love you and I see you this way. And so for me, it took that many years. And, it, and, and there was this, this short season of when I finally got it, when I finally experienced it, it was, just, it was just this season. It was like a day and a half. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it lasted a season where I just felt the satisfaction of just being with him. I saw a picture. This is a little, this is a little bit vulnerable, a little weird. I saw a picture of him standing before me with a pillow, a little tiny pillow, and on the pillow was a ring. It was an engagement ring. 
And it was like he was saying to me, will you marry me, Brian? It was so freaking weird. <laughs> but it was so tender and intimate. And it's hard for a guy to think this way. It's hard for a guy to hear this. But he offers that. He's literally saying, you are my bride. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will give you a new name that only I know. The Song of, Song of Solomon is, a, is an amazing book about Solomon and, and this, this bride that he is wooing and this very erotic poem that has been in the church and in Jewish history for thousands of years. It's a beautiful story. And for many, and for, and over, over the generations, it's been taken as a literal story and other layers, layers of meaning has been taken to be a story of God's love for his bride. And we sing this stuff all the time, you guys. We sing these kind of things that we don't even realize come from this book all the time. He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Song of Solomon 2.4. Song of Solomon 7.10. I am my beloved's and his desire. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. His desire is for me. It's an amazing book. It's also very descriptive. But the Jews thought of it as God's love story to them, their people. All throughout Scripture, Jesus talks in sort of different layers of meaning. He'll say something, and he means that as well as other things. It's a little bit interesting. Just for example, in, in a book called In Love, The Larger Story of Sex and Marriage, Ryan Messmore, he basically documents how Jesus many times would say things that had layers of meaning. When a, bride, when a groom asked a woman to marry him in the Jewish culture, he would often take a cup of wine and he would say, this is the cup of my blood in a new covenant. And he would give it to her and she would drink it. Jesus in the Last Supper said, this is a cup of my blood in the new covenant to his disciples. What a picture. Then she wouldn't, they would not drink together or see each other until the wedding night. The father would go and hide, like create a room for them to experience on their wedding night, the room of the consummation. They would, he, would, he would have this room prepared for them. And it was a special room that only, knew, only he knew about. Jesus said, my father has prepared a place for you in heaven. Only the father, the, the father of the groom, knew when the wedding would be, the date of the wedding. Jesus said, I don't know the date of time of my return, but, but my father knows the date of my return. Over and over again, there's all this symbolic language that has a literal meaning, but also a secondary layer of meaning, in my opinion, about marriage. That Jesus is over and over again saying, I'm the bridegroom, I'm the bridegroom. In Mark 2, he says this. They're arguing about why the disciples weren't fasting, and the, 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 they're arguing together about why, why they weren't fasting. And Jesus said, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he, talking about himself, is with them. They can't, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So what he's saying is, I'm the bridegroom. I'm with them right now, physically, and there'll be a time when I'm gone. I'll be taken from them. And that will produce in them longing for me. That will produce in them hunger for me. And then they'll fast. It's called the bridegroom fast. They'll long for me in a way that a woman would long for her husband that, that she is missing. And Jesus invites us into that right now. We should, we can be longing for him, longing for his return, longing for a deeper, deeper communion with him, 
We just sang that this morning. Where's the, wor- where's the words? We just sang it. I mean, like, since your love. Here it is. You're the light, the song of my life. You always lead. You're the voice inside. You're my love, no one before. All that I am points to you. I was made by you. I was made for you. I'm unfulfilled without full communion. We just sang it. Since your love got a hold of me, I'm a new creation. I'm forever changed. In you is all I need. You're my breath. You're my life. You're my everything. This is a husband and wife, in a sense, talking. Jesus, the bridegroom, invites us into this place of intimacy, into this place of communion, vulnerability, transparency, authentic authentic relationship. It's not easy when you have a lot of things in your life, too, to worry about the kids and the job and the house. It's not easy, but the invitation is there. The invitation is there, and I, I just want to present this to you, this facet of the beauty of Jesus, the bridegroom king, who invites you into a, a kind of relationship that is so satisfying, so fulfilling, that you can find that fullness so then you can love someone else out of that fullness, not emptiness. We've, we've, become, we've believed that I need someone else to complete me because I'm broken and they will satisfy me. So marriage becomes all about you fixing me, you completing me. When the picture that God is offering is, I come to fix and complete you so you can love someone else fully. Not out of neediness, but out of fullness. So that you can look at that bride or your husband and say, how can I meet their needs and fulfill their dreams and their destiny versus how can she fulfill mine? How can he fulfill mine? Because I'm so needy. I'm so broken. You do need a man, and the man is Jesus. The man is Jesus, and he is waiting with a ring to say, I am never going to forsake you, never going to leave you, never going to divorce you. The heart of the Father, the heart of God, it's glorious, it's beautiful. Let's stand. In you is all I need. Let's pray. Just be still and just pray. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. Have your way this morning. Thank you for what you've already shown and done. We pray, God, you'd come now, Holy Spirit in this time of ministry. Would you speak right now, God? Would you speak right now the words we need to hear? Just be still.